All right, saints, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel there in your Bibles, John chapter 1. Now, as we go through, um, keep in mind that this is the fourth gospel. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in starting through the scriptures, again, you may be saying, why are you going through the book of John? Why not start in the book of Matthew? Just as a heads up on the, the Monday nights, the upper room study, um, the one we're doing almost like a, a foundational systematic theology study through the word, we did start in Matthew. So I just did Matthew like two years ago. And so it, it's still fresh in my mind. Um, so if you want to tune into those messages, just go on, online and you can grab a hold of that. However, it's been interesting as we were going through um, the epistles of John over and over. We just came back to this, this gospel using it as references, and to be honest, I just began to fall in love, and, and it was just one of those things where God gives me the, the sometimes that freedom as um, a messenger to say, this is the word, and so we're going to go through the gospel of John. I think last time we went through this book two or three times, um, but it's just a, it's a great word for us and, and a, a perfect understanding. So when we take a look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John is the last of the, the, the four. The, 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 the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are, 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 are kind of parallel in their messages as they begin to talk about um, that here, you know, this man, Jesus Christ, was God. And they go through the events in his life, and they are, all of them hit these, these areas where the Gospel of John does something a little unique and a little different. Now, when Matthew teaches his Gospel, Matthew begins to show that Jesus Christ is the King. And that's what he begins to proclaim, that Jesus is the king. He's the king of the Jews. And, you know, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? And, of course, Pilate there puts upon Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. So he portrays him as king. And Matthew, for the most part, begins to write to the Jews, saying that this is your king. He's the authority. And so we, we see that that's an aspect of just where... Um, Matthew begins to write. Now, when Mark comes, Mark does a little different perspective of the life of Jesus. He wasn't necessarily writing to the um, to the Jews, but was writing more. And, and scholars believe that he was writing to the Romans. And, and so he shows Jesus Christ as a servant. Everything about him is just, it's a very quick and fast gospel, but Jesus needed to do this and needed to do this, but you see the service of what Jesus does over and over again. And then Luke, Luke shows Jesus Christ as a man. And as a man, he, Luke, what he does is he portrays Jesus and begins to declare that this is the Make no mistake that Jesus, who is 100% God, is also 100% man. And the things that he did, he did through the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. John has a unique perspective. Now, what John doesn't do, amazingly, is every other gospel, Jesus will, they will record some of the parables of Jesus. John records no parables. 
But what he does do is this. He will open up seven particular events in the life of Christ. Now, some call them signs, some call them miracles. So in the Gospel of John, there are seven signs, there are seven miracles. The first, of course, is where he changes the water into wine. The second is where he begins to heal the nobleman's son. The third is where he heals the paralytic. The fourth is where he feeds the 5,000. The sixth is where he heals the blind. And of course, the seventh is where he raises Lazarus from the dead. So John will focus on seven unique signs, seven unique miracles that goes through. Also within the Gospel of John, for those of you that are familiar with it, you have those seven I am statements where he says, I am the bread in, in chapter six. I am the light of the world in chapter eight. I am the door in chapter 10. I am the good shepherd also in chapter 10. I am the resurrection um, in, in chapter 11. I am the way, the truth, and the life in chapter 14. Of course, in chapter 15, I am the vine. So we begin to see there are seven events, seven I am statements, and John himself uses these to conclude here the life of Christ. So as we begin to look at this, understand that what John does uniquely is he doesn't try to say that this man was God. What he begins to do is say that God was this man. God became this man, which is a unique perspective among the Gospels. The Gospel begins this, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. <clears throat> Is very much the same thing as where in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we recognize that John brings the, not just the life of Christ, where Luke brings him, you know, there on, you know, for the incarnation. Matthew brings it so when the wise men came to his house, Mark begins to show him still as, as a young kid, but John shows him before all that, before he comes to the world, he says, in the beginning. So this same beginning, when you look at that term in the beginning, that term in the beginning in the, in the Greek is an imperfect tense. What that means is this, that imperfect tense means that it implies a continuous state. So when he says in the beginning, it doesn't mean that this was a completed past, way in the past this was done when he says in the beginning, it means that there's a continuous state. So it's an imperfect tense, which means that that which was then is still now. So in the beginning was the word. So it began in the beginning, continues through the beginning. But in the beginning was the word. This word is a unique term as well. The term is logos. In the beginning was the word. The term being in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. This term word is, is unique. What it is is this. The term Logos and the term word, the word of God refers to Jesus Christ. He was the word in all caps. But also we see when we hold this Bible in our lap, we call it what? This is the word of God. So you have the living word and you have the written word. And in the volume of this book, it is written of what? It is written of him. It's a pointer to him. And so 
what we begin to see here is in that word logos, the, the, the term is sort of an abstract conception of basically that which lies behind everything. I want to give you one verse to focus on as we kind of go through this. It's found in the book of Proverbs chapter 8. I want to read from you verses 22 through 31. And it begins this in Proverbs chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. It says this, The Lord possessed me, this is now um, where the very first verse in Proverbs 1 is, does not wisdom cry out. So this wisdom, this thought, it says this in verse 22, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old, I have been established from everlasting. In other words, I've always been from the beginning before there was ever an earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world, then he prepared the, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the seas its limits so that the waters could not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman. In other words, I was that which put everything together. I was the designer, if you will. Um, and so he said, I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. So understand that before anything was created, there was already the thought, that is what the Logos was, um, implied wisdom, but here what, what John begins to say is that this thought, this idea was actually flesh, was a person. He was the architect, if you will, of all the things that God had desired. So in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. One other passage I want to give you found in the Gospel of John chapter 10 I just want to read verses 30 through 31 to you, because when we take a look at what John is doing in writing this book, that yes, he is trying to let us know who Jesus Christ was, that he's always been, but John does something unique in writing this book. At the end of chapter 20, in verse, um, wait, let me back that up, John chapter 10 is where I'm at. In John chapter 10, beginning in verse 30, he makes this statement. He says, I and my Father are one. So when we take a look at what John is doing, he's literally pointing out this word was God. They were the same. They were one and the same. We call them the Trinity. And as John is trying to bring an understanding of this book to us, Keep in mind that his goal is not just to reveal everything there is to know about the Savior. He wants to reveal specific things about Christ, but he will not reveal everything. Two verses to just jot down as you're a note taker. 
The first is found in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, where John says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing you may have life in his name. John actually gives the reason for writing this epistle. He says, I'm only declaring certain things about him. There's a lot more, but I'm only writing a certain amount. In John chapter 21, verse 25, the last verse, he said, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that could, would be written. Amen. So we understand that John is very uniquely focused on one aspect of Jesus Christ. And at this point, we're seeing that he says, in the beginning, there was a thought, this thought, this wisdom, and they called it the logos, they called it the word. And it said, this word was with God. And then he says this, the word was God. And then in verse two, it makes this statement, he you understand this logos is a person. This logos is not just some abstract thought. This, this thought that was there was an actual person. He was in the beginning with God. So as we look to this word, the word was with God. The word was God. Not was a God, but was God. And he, this word, was in the beginning with God. In other words, he's always been. Now, verse 14, I want to just bring that to you just so that you can be clear. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So this word that has always been, Verse 2 says this word was a he, was an actual person. And then we understand verse 14 saying this word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then verse 15 brings a greater clarification. John bore witness of him. So this is the key to what it's speaking of. Although it is not mentioning the name of Jesus, initially we're seeing that it is definitely about Jesus. It is about Jesus before he came to the world as an infant, before he came and became flesh. He was in the beginning with God, and he was God. And so we see now in verse 3 that all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So we understand that, that as God had a desire for all things to be made, Jesus, in a sense, becomes that architect to create everything that's going to be made. And so as he does this, now we see that all things were made through him. Two verses simply to jot down. I'm going to read from Psalm 148, the first five verses. It's a beautiful thing because as this, this psalm comes out, it simply begins, praise the Lord. And then it says, praise the Lord from the heavens, from, from all of everything that's above us. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of the light. 
Praise him, you heavens of heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. And I want you to notice all the things, the, the, the heights, which is everything above. In other words, the universe, the angels, the hosts, which would be, um, some say it's the stars, some say it's his armies, um, some say it's all the other created angelic, like the seraphim and ch cherubim that are there. So you have his host, the sun and the moon, and the stars. And then the heaven of heavens. So it declares this, let them praise the name of the Lord, verse 5, for he commanded and they were created. So as we understand this, everything that is in existence was created by God. And what happens is this, it makes that statement in verse 3 that all things were made through him. God is the one who desired all things to be made. Jesus is the one who becomes the architect to create all those things. There's a passage that you should be aware of found in the uh, epistle to the church of Colossae. Colossians chapter 1. I want to read verse 16 and 17 to you that you can have this greater understanding of what Paul says is about the Christ. It talks about Jesus, and he says this in verse 16 and 17, For by him, speaking of Jesus Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him, and for him, and then it said this, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So when it talks about everything is created, it says that he's before all things. He created everything. He was there in the beginning with God. He's the one who creates all things, and he's the one that holds them all together. This is a unique term when it says, in him all things consist, it means that in him, all things are held together. What does that mean? If you're familiar with how you know, positive and negatives attract and, and, and repel one another, scientists have no clue while, why the electrons don't just fly off. And, and so if you are interested in what the power is when an atom is divided and an atom releases, think about this, the atom bomb. That is what happens when an electron is released from the protons there in the atom, and it, it releases. There is going to be a time that Jesus Christ is not going to hold all things together. Peter calls it, it's just going to just, the whole universe is going to just erupt in a fireball. And so basically, just think of every atom becoming an atom bomb. But for right now, Everything is being held together by him. Science have no idea. Scientists, they call it cosmic glue. They, they, they have no idea what all this is, how it's being held together, why the principles aren't, aren't applied the way it normally does, that they shouldn't be held together, but yet they are. And so we see here exactly what scripture says in him all things consist. In him all things are held together. And that's why verse 3 of our, of our text in John 1 says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. He's the creator of all things. And then it declares this. Not only is he the creator of everything external, 
But understand in verse 4, he begins to say that he's also the creator of all things internal. It says, in him was life. So keep in mind that we think, well, I'm living, right? And it says, well, actually, you, you are. You're, you're breathing. You are, your heart's pumping. Your brain waves are working. But, but God calls life and death something different. Remember what he said to Adam. In the day that you eat of this fruit, of the knowledge of good and evil, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And yet Adam ate of it, and he still lived. He went on to have children. So what does God mean when he says, you shall surely die? Well, keep in mind that Jesus in John 11 is going to give a whole definition about life and death. He says, if you believe in me, you'll never die. He asks, you know, Mary, do you believe this? And so, you know, Martha responds in that, that beautiful way. But, but we begin to see here that what Jesus is trying to share is that in him was life. That outside of him, you can be breathing, you can be, um, you know, outside of room temperature, your brainwaves can be working, but it's still not life. So in him was life, and the life was the light of men. A passage I want to give to you to help clue you in on, on what this life is and, and where it is, it begins in the book of Isaiah, Two passages in Isaiah 60 I want to give to you. I want to read the first three verses, then I want to jump to verse 19 and 20. But it says this, Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, the deep darkness, the people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. He talks about all these people, but the real key is what when they come into him. In Isaiah 60, verse 19 and 20, it says this, the sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor brightness shall give the moon by light, but the Lord will be to you as an everlasting light. And this is where we begin to see here, this whole understanding was in him was life, the life was the light of men. That men are there in darkness and, and Jesus is this light that comes, and Jesus is the one that gives this light and life to men. And so in him was the life. The life was the light of men. In other words, it would illuminate the path to what life is, not just living, but true life. And then it says this in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. It's amazing that here we begin to see the truth of what Jesus declares. He's here in this dark world, the world that needs life. In other words, the life that can only come through Christ. And as he comes into this dark world, which is the absence of the light that is in Jesus Christ, the life that is in Jesus Christ, he comes into this world and it makes this statement, the light shines. 
he comes into this world and it says this, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Those that are not alive in Christ have no idea of the life that is in Christ. I don't know if you've ever tried to talk to people about the, the love that you have for your Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you talk to them about this life that you have in him, the, 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 the joy that you have in walking with they, they look at you and have absolutely no clue to what you're saying. You're trying to tell them about the Lord and the enemy still has blinded them. They cannot perceive what it is that you're talking about. And so keep in mind that as you're sharing of this person, your Savior Jesus Christ, to those that are in the darkness, if you're wondering why don't they comprehend it, keep in mind this is exactly what's being said here. That those that he created do not comprehend that in him and only in him is the life. And so Jesus comes on the scene and they absolutely miss the fact that here he is. Now, keep in mind that John the Baptist says something very similar that he himself kind of missed exactly what this light was. I want to read to you here in the, the first chapter, verses 29 through 32. So scroll down to the end of the chapter and look at verse 29 with me. It says this, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He points out this is Jesus, in him is life, he takes away the sin. And in verse 30, he said, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. In other words, I'm here to be a messenger of one who was eternal. He was ranked before me, he was always before me, and I'm here to proclaim him to you. And in verse 31, John said this, I did not know him. Do you understand? Here he was. I mean, he knew him when he was in the womb, remember? When Jesus, when, when Mary came and there, Mary, Elizabeth said, the, my baby left in my womb. He knew this. Well, all of a sudden, as he gets a little older, he gets not as smart, but he said, I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. Verse 32, and John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he, the spirit remained upon him, upon Jesus Christ. So understand that there are going to be those times where we just don't understand and people will not understand the person and the life of Jesus Christ. When Luke was writing the book of Acts, he made a unique statement in chapter 13. I want to read from verses 23 to 27 so you can kind of grasp what's going on. But as it says here in Acts chapter 13, it says, From this man's seed, speaking of Abraham, according to the promise God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus after John had first preached before his coming, speaking of John the Baptist preaching before his coming, the baptism of repentance for all the people of Israel, as John was finishing his course, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not he, 
But behold, there comes one after me whose sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, those among you who fear God, to you the word, and I love how he says it, the word of this salvation has been sent. Now verse 27, for those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. So they didn't understand the words of the prophets before Christ. They didn't understand Christ. And there are going to be people today that won't understand as you share the word of God, that you say that all this points to Jesus Christ. They cannot comprehend that. And, and it's an amazing thing that here, the one part of God's creation that he makes in his own image, we don't get them. But yet all the rest of creation, when he speaks, the wind and the waves simply obey his voice. They have no problem when he says, peace, be still. A couple of passages, don't turn there, but jot them down if you're a note taker or just be mindful of them. I want to read to you two passages in the Gospels, the first in Mark chapter 1, verse 23 and 24, where it makes this declaration. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 23, says this, Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And it declares this, And he cried out, saying, Let us alone what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons who are in darkness, the demons who are you know, part of darkness, they recognize the light. But men who are in this darkness, they do not recognize the light. A very similar parallel passage about the demonic understanding the Lord found in the gospel of Luke chapter 40 or Luke chapter 4 verse 40 and 41 when the sun was setting all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on them every one of them and healed them and demons also came out of many crying out saying you are the Christ the son of God and he rebuking them did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. It's amazing how there's a part of the darkness that understands the light, but that which God made in his own image doesn't understand. And I think, boy, what a sad statement to the humanity of man that here the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not comprehend. So keep in mind that when you're sharing the word of God and people are looking at you without a clue to how this word is life and how it transforms your thinking and how it transforms your life and it becomes power for your life, you talk to them about this word as a living word and they're clueless. You talk to them about your Savior, the love that he has for you and the love that you have for him and the intimate relationship that you have now, and they're clueless. They think that, yeah, I believe there's a God, but didn't he just kind of wind everything up and go? No, that, that's this here 
is actually declaring the very opposite of that, that he didn't just wind it up and to let it go because in verse 4 it says, in him was life. That we realize that the life that we have is what? It's amazing because it's him. It's in him. And that's when our life truly became a life when we accepted Christ and we walk with him. So as we have this light in us, as we are walking in the darkness in this world, keep in mind the darkness cannot comprehend the joy that we have, the intimacy that we have, the power that we have. Now, verse 6, this man was sent from God whose name was John. So there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, John, I want to share with this to you now, does not use his name at all in this epistle. Not once do you see John. Now, the other gospels do something unique. They talk about John, and they simply call him John. But when they refer to John the Baptist, they always call him John the Baptist. John, however, in his epistle, doesn't call him John the Baptist. He just calls him John, because there's not a distinction between the two. Every time that what John does when he refers to him, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I love that about John. He doesn't say, oh, and me. He just says, no. And the disciple whom Jesus loved laid his you know, head upon his breast. The disciple whom he loved. Um, and so we see over and over again that this is the response that John has to himself. So when we see here in verse 6, the other gospels would call him John the Baptist, but because John doesn't use his name in this epistle, he doesn't need to distinguish between the two Johns. So he simply said, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. We know him as John the Baptist. The other gospels declare it as such. And it says this, this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And now we understand here that he's talking of John the Baptist, and John came to be a witness of this light. So as we look to this, there's a verse that you should be aware of. Jot it down here. John chapter 8, verse 24, makes this declaration. Therefore, I said to you, I said that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. John came to bear witness of life and came to bear witness of light. And so this man was sent from God. He was the forerunner. His name was John. He came for a witness to bear witness of that light. And as he came to bear witness, we begin to see here that as John comes, as John begins to declare, we understand here that as he tries to get the darkness to grasp what the light is. In John chapter 3, verse 36, it makes a statement, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. 
He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Again and again, we begin to see that here he wants to open the eyes of those who are in darkness that are not comprehending the life and the light that is in Jesus Christ. And so what John does is he lets us know that the Baptist in verse 8 was not the light, but he simply came to bear witness of that light. Now he opens up who this light was in verse 9. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. So from Adam on to every man that will ever exist, to every woman that will ever exist, he is the light which gives light. And of course, we have already seen that that life and the light are intermixed there in verse 4. So he gives that light to every man, which, in other words, he gives that ability, that light is to receive the life that is in Jesus Christ to every man. And so he was not the light, was sent to bear witness of the light that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Jesus was the true light. It says this in verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Absolutely incredible that here he creates everything. And as he's the creator, the world is absolutely clueless. Those who are in the world that were created by him, made in his own image, they have no idea who he is. They have no idea that he is. And they're rejecting what God has spoken of himself. Now, you may think that there are some people who say, well, you know, the word of God is just a word that was written by men. And it's true, they were the instruments that God used to pen this word to man. But understand that they were not the author. The Holy Spirit is the author. The Holy Spirit moves in these men, impresses on them what to write. And so, as we understand this, the world doesn't know him, and of course the word of God reveals him, but they think, well, the word of God was just written by men. Keep in mind that the evidence that God says is, listen, I will prove to you that I exist. And the way that I'm going to prove to you I exist is I'm going to tell you what is known as the end from the beginning, the prophetic word. The God says, I will with 100% accuracy, declare to you the things that are not yet in absolute entirety and perfection before they even happen. So that when they do happen, you will know that what? It wasn't a man who wrote this, but someone who was outside of time and space wrote this. So God is able to access any point of time with all men. And then we'll say, this is what is going to happen because to God, it's already happened. He's the one who orchestrated all things. And so when you realize that someone outside of time and space had declared these truths, two things that he does in the midst of declaring those truths. One, he declares who he is. And two, he declares who we are. He declares his greatness, his glory, and his love. And he declares our wretchedness and our sinfulness. So that when these things happen, then you will have an understanding. Yep, yep. This is him. 
And so he was in the world. The world was made through him. The world did not know him. And then it says this, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. So when he comes to his own, uniquely what we begin to see is, is he comes to the nation Israel. And, and I do believe that it's not just to the world, but he comes to Israel very specifically, and his own did not receive him. That they said, we will not have this man rule over us. Let Caesar rule over us. We have no king but Caesar. And so we begin to see here that what he does is he talks about the rejection. As the world comes, the light is there, and they cannot comprehend it. They do not know him. But then he goes to his own through the the descendants of Abraham. They also did not receive him. So he talks about the world rejecting him and the nation Israel rejecting him. And now he comes in verse 12 after he talks about the rejection to this acceptance. But as many as receive him, this is both Israel and Gentile, to as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And now we begin to see this incredible heart that anyone who believes in his name, these are the ones that will have life. John chapter 3, verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved, that they could have a life with God once again being restored. So through this, we see that Jesus Christ is revealed. And so you can receive or you can reject. You can accept or you can deny. You can love or you could despise. And he gives you the choice. He says, I'm going to reveal myself to you so that all you who are in the darkness, and don't make a mistake that you have had this revealed. And so as we recognize this, look at verse 5 once again. The light does shine in the darkness. They all have seen, they all will know of salvation through Jesus Christ. Although they will reject it, Romans talks about the the heart being hardened, their minds being darkened, their um, eyes being blinded. But we see here that the light shines in the darkness, but they do not comprehend in the same way as when Jesus spoke to Saul as, as he was on the road to Damascus. The others heard a voice, but they didn't understand what was going on. They didn't quite grasp what was going on. This is what he says here. And he gives this promise in verse 12, but as many receive him to them, he gave the right, the privilege, the honor to become children of God for those who believe in his name, who were born... Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What is he saying here? Basically, the same thing that he's going to open up and speak further in John chapter 3. Remember when Nicodemus came and he said, listen, I know you're a teacher come from God, because no one can do the things that you do unless God were with him. And Jesus said, listen, most assuredly, I say to you, you must be born again. 
And when Nicodemus asked, well, how can a man be born again? Jesus would make this statement in John 3, verse 5. Most assuredly, I say to you that unless one is born of the water, a natural birth, and the spirit, a spiritual birth, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh, water, is flesh. That which is born of the spirit, the spiritual birth, is spirit. Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. And this is here what, what Jesus is trying to impress to us through John, here in verse 13, we who believe in his name are not born of blood, not a natural birth, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, I want you to understand that this passive birth that comes through the Spirit of God. Just a question for you. You don't have to raise your hands. You don't have to answer the question. But I'm going to ask you this. What did you do in being born here naturally? So when your, when your mom was giving birth to you, what did you do? What did you do to help out? What did you do? Did you, before you were born, get to pick your parents? Did you get to say, I want this for my mom, this for my dad, and, and then you know, and, and I'm going to help out and birth myself? No, you, you chose nothing. It just happened to you. you. You didn't get to choose. You didn't help. And this is what here, he's saying the same birth where you do nothing to, to get this natural birth, understand this same passiveness, you do nothing to receive the spiritual birth. It's something that God does. You don't get to choose God first. He chooses you. And then he like, through that understanding, wow, you say, I'm choosing God. Yes, you are choosing God because he chose you. This is the heart that we begin to see. So, I love the heart of verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I love the fact that we can behold his glory. That we who have seen the light, we who have received this life, we now look to God and we just worship. We want him to be glorified. We want him to be exalted. There's a passage in John chapter 17. We call it the high priestly prayer. I want to read to you the first five verses because it really depicts the glory that is his. In John chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, Jesus spoke these words lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. And he makes this statement, glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you. In other words, that the light is comprehended, and the light becomes this life. So this is eternal life that they may glorify you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself and the glory which I had with you before the world was. This is so beautiful that we begin to see, you know what? 
now that I understand the light, my eyes have been opened, and now I have that life that is in him, one desire I have, and that is to see him glorified. That is to see him worshiped, to have him exalted. And so this word becomes flesh, dwells among us. We beheld the glory. And in, in some sense, they could say it deals with like the transfiguration. But they beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This beautiful thing is that it's not just grace with the absence of truth. It's not the truth with the absence of grace. But it's this beautiful balance of grace and truth. Grace means that wherever you are in your sin, you can turn and come to Jesus Christ. And the truth means walk in what he shows you. You're not in the darkness. You're not able to say, I don't comprehend this because now you do. His life is in you. His light is in you. You understand the path that we should be walking. And so we turn from our sins. That's a grace. And we walk in the truth. That's the leading of the spirit through his word. And then in verse 15, John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me because he was before me. So at this point, John begins to make that declaration. And as he says, this is he who was before me because he came after me. And in John chapter 3, it opens up this John, that is John the Baptist, verse 27, answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, I must decrease. It's a beautiful thing that he begins to say. And then he says in verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. But he who comes from heaven is above all, speaking to the authority that is in Jesus Christ. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies and no one receives his testimony he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. So John says, I'm telling you that he is the Messiah. I'm telling you that he is God. Verse 34, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the spirit by measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. And he who believes in the son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. And this is where John was saying, I'm telling you of who he is. I'm telling you in him is light, in him is life. He was before me. He was pre-incarnate. He was the word that was there in the beginning. He was with God. He was God. He became flesh. And then he says this, verse 16, and of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. And I love it how he says, with everything that he is, we receive grace 
and on top of that, grace. Because God should do one thing. He should simply let us die in our sins. That's what we deserve. But the grace for grace, you see this double aspect of grace that he wants us to have this, this rich relationship through him, and it's in the fullness of what he wants. Everything that he desires is for us to come into that right relationship. The, if his fullness and everything that he has and everything that he's done, he's done it for one thing, to bring us into a right relationship with the Father. It was a plan before the, the world was created. It has always been his plan. And so we see that here, of his fullness, we've received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses. It says this, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now this term, the law was given through Moses. We discussed this on Sunday where we talked about that we do not fulfill the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, not us. It's Jesus. He's come to fulfill the law. He says that in Matthew I've come to fulfill the law. He says it there in Jude. He's the fulfillment. And so as we recognize here that he is the fulfillment of the law, two passages I want to share with you. One found in the book of Hebrews. And what Hebrews declares is this. Speaking of the law and speaking of Moses, in Hebrews chapter 1, the first two verses says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time fast to the fathers by the prophets, one of those being Moses, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir over all things, through whom he made the world. And so we see here that he at one point spoken through Moses, now he speaks through Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Moses was indeed faithful, Moses was amazing. He was indeed faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would afterwards be spoken. So Moses was a great servant, but Christ was a son. So when you have a household, who do you think is the greatest in the household? The son or the servant? And so he said, no, he was a son over his own house. And so Moses was a servant in the house, Jesus was the son of the house, and so Moses himself gives the law. Now, as we've been learning, as we kind of went through that passage on Sunday, I'm going to reinstate just a couple of verses in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. But as many as are the works of the law, as many as are... Of the works of the law. So when you find yourself under the law, when you say that this law helps fulfill me, rather than realizing the law is just this schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. But it says this, as many of, of the, as are of the works of the law are under the curse. So what happens is this, when you fail in one point of the law, and I'm not saying that you actually have to do the law, Remember what Jesus said. He said that if you look and you lust, you haven't actually done the act. So in other words, if there's a speed limit sign and the sign says 35 miles an hour and you wish you could drive a little faster, like you're late for church and I wish I could just do 40 miles an hour here instead of the 35. Or if you even had that thought of driving faster, you've already become guilty of breaking the law. 
And this is what he begins to say. He says, and many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So if you keep 99% of the law and you fail in 1%, or you keep 99.999% and you fail in 0001%, you failed. And so you're cursed. But it says this, but that, verse 11 of Galatians 3, no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for his written curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. So as Jesus went to the cross, he became the curse. And so he's the one who now becomes the curse for us, takes the curse away. And so this law was given through Moses, that law which drives us now to Christ. But Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the law, says this, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, what happens is this. People want to do one of two things with the law. They either want to use it to add to their righteousness, which is one error, or they want to throw it out completely, which was another error. So you don't do either one. So understand what happens is this. The law is a revelation of God's heart. This has always been his heart, will always be his heart. And what God says is this. When you have my heart, these things that we call the law and statutes and judgments, all these things are those which you would naturally do in a situation if you have my heart. In other words, if you're being led by the Spirit. That's what the law is. So it's not trying to keep it, but it's an understanding of, am I being led by your Spirit? Yea or nay. Am I walking according to the Spirit? Yea or nay. Because when I am being led by the Spirit, I very naturally walk those things that are declared being the heart of God. And so what happens is this. When we say the law came through Moses... Understand that some people think that the law will add to their righteousness, and of course it does not. The other point is this, where they think that I don't do anything in the law. I want to simply throw the law all away, and I don't want to do that either, because what Jesus says is this, the law came through Moses, the Spirit says, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's not just grace, do everything you want, and don't worry about the truth, no, Grace is the ability to where you've sinned, you can come back to God. That's what it is, not the ability to stay in sin. And so we understand that Jesus is grace. He allows you to come back, but it is truth, which means don't stay in sin. This is what happens. The law drives you to this grace, and then this grace brings you to what? To truth. And I love the heart of it because this way we begin to see the reality of what the word of God is. The word is life. Do you understand? If this word that we recognize Jesus is light and life, this word that we're right now studying is light and life, from Genesis to Revelation, this word is two things. It is light and it is life. We do not throw away anything of this book. You don't just say, well, we're going to stick to the New Testament and forget all the Old Testament. That's still the heart of God. 
This is something that reminds us of, of, of where God says all of this is going to drive you to say, I can't do this to get to you. I'm going to come only through what you've done, Jesus Christ, on the cross. That's my access. But as I have this access, I want to walk through the spirit, this word that you have declared. And this word is what? It's light to me. It says, I'm walking in the spirit or I'm not walking in the spirit. I'm walking in this life or I'm not walking in this life. And so John would go on as his epistles to say, listen, if you say that you're in the light and you're walking in darkness, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. If you're living a life of sin, you're not. So we see this beautiful passage of the law came through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. A beautiful balance that John brings out. And then in verse 18, he says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who's in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. So no one has seen the father at any time. He is spirit. And so no one has seen the father at any time, but the son. And it says this, the only begotten son. Now this term only is unique. So keep in mind that there are many sons of God, those who believe and, and who walk in righteousness, they are the sons of God. But it declares this, he's the only begotten son. And this term only means that basically he is the single only one of his kind. There's only one, one son of God. And so he is that son. He is, has always been God. He was in the beginning with God. And in him, he's the only begotten son who's in the bosom of the father. He is loved by God. He is God. And it says this, and he has declared him. So we understand that what he's done is he has declared the father. That through this, we begin to see that this is the light. And so he now comes and he says, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you understand my light, this is the light of the father. If you understand my truth, this is the truth of the Father. That a lot of people think that Jesus is the God of love and the Father is the God of wrath, but that is not true. That Jesus is going to come and he's going to judge sin. The Father has always judged sin. It's going to be no different than that. And so we begin to see this beautiful thing. And so in these first 18 verses here of the Gospel of John, it's the prologue. It's setting us up for the rest of that ministry that John is going to do in declaring this of the Son. Father, we are so grateful for this word. Over and over, you just, through the Spirit, want to point out the reality that, Lord, we were dead. We were in darkness. The world is in darkness. But it was by grace, that by grace that we were able to see the light and bear witness of the light and receive the light. And as we saw the light, oh, we received life. And that life is only in you, Jesus. And that life is amazing that we have in you, Jesus. And so we're asking that, that you through your spirit, you through your grace would continue to develop in us this heart that we would walk in the newness of this life, that we would walk in the light that you have revealed through your word and by your spirit, that these would be the things to transform us.
So let us anchor in, Lord, to this truth as we begin this gospel, that we have life in you. And outside of you, there's no life. And it was by your grace that you brought us into this life and into this light. And we want to respond in light manner. We want to respond by, by asking for more light and desiring more intimacy, that life with you. Even though the world may not be able to comprehend why we're doing what we're doing, we know it because you called us to. And so draw us to that end. We ask in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen.